सहनावतु सहनो भुनक्तु सह वीर करवाहे तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तुमाषावे ओमेदेक्टर उटिकेतास mad at him because he kept on asking these uh, uh, pesky questions about whom are you going to give me away to uh, as part of your sacrifice and so on so he said let let my father's anger pass uh, let him attain peace of mind let him not be anxious about me when i go back he takes it for granted that uh, yama is going to send him back when i go back let my father recognize me all of that uh, in one boon so he takes care of you know the big picture is that he takes care of this world the worldly affairs he settles it in one boon the second one is um going to heaven and for this the background i have told you already it is the ritualistic portion of the vedas so the conventional religion of the time at that time was the vedic religion uh, and the bulk of the vedas are actually uh, about various rituals various fire sacrifices which people who believed Uh, in the vedic religion like nachiketa's community his uh, his father and others they would perform these elaborate uh, rituals um, for getting you know a good life here and a good life hereafter so i continue to be the same person there is no vedantic atman brahman pure consciousness enlightenment uh, freedom from the cycle of birth and death no not at all they are going to hold on to the cycle of birth and death that is the reality and they're going to ensure that uh, the life that we have is as pleasant as possible it can't be perfect because human life is not perfect but there is a perfect life possible that's in heaven and there are various grades of heaven and it all depends upon one's good karma so good karma is accumulated merit is accumulated by these vedic sacrifices so vedic sacrifices ensure a good life here Uh, going to heaven after death and also a good human birth uh, once that um, the tour of heaven is over the vacation in heaven is over remember they understood very well whatever is produced by karma is strictly limited so that which is produced will come to an end that which is generated by karma by action will come to an end um heaven is only relatively long lasting is often called eternal immortal but only in comparison to our short lived human beings uh, so but that also comes to an end and there's nothing particularly spiritual about these people those who perform these they they will be ethical people upstanding in their society good people people of high character but 
they are not after enlightenment they are not after uh, you know moksha nirvana whatever you call that um they just want a better more moral more ethical much better life here and hereafter so nachiketa asks about um how do i go to heaven i see all people around me my father and others they're all interested in this in fact the reason i've come here is because of that um sacrifice my father was performing and the goal of that is also to go to heaven so what is the best possible sacrifice best possible ritual and uh, yama teaches him this ritual uh, by which nachiketa if he performs it he'll go to heaven remember uh, ultimately we will see nachiketa he repudiates all of this he is actually a seeker of enlightenment he is a seeker of vedantic knowledge none of this is particularly vedantic uh, this is vedic but not vedantic vedantic is the final spiritual teachings of the vedas found in the upanishads like this but because these upanishads are firmly set in the entire vedic literature you will find the influence of vedic ritualism here also that's why there is this talk of going to heaven performing um, vedic fire rituals and it's only people who are willing to renounce these goals that is um, trying to have a pleasant life here and going to heaven hereafter give the whole thing up and try to realize the truth the reality of that infinite reality brahman which the upanishads speak of and nachiketa belongs to that category he he gets all this knowledge but later he will say i don't really want any of this so so why did he ask probably because he wanted to transmitted to others and we will see that is the case also um the vedic people they follow this sacrifice when we'll see the sacrifice this ritual nachiketa got from the lord of death we will see that it comes to be named after nachiketa though he himself wasn't interested so he probably came and he taught it to others and um, from that time onwards it's been known as the nachiketa sacrifice nachiketa's sacrifice nachiketa sacrifice in in uh, sanskrit so we were in the middle of the story on the 15th mantra where the lord of death was teaching all this to the boy nachiketa teaching their ritual the vedic ritualism the particular fire sacrifice 15th verse we have done this but i'll just quickly touch in, touch upon it and then go ahead 15th mantra lokadi magnim tamuvacha tasmai ஆச்சிக்கேட்டிங் all these as they were spoken then death being satisfied with this said again so what did we see here first there is this term lokadi magnim um so the fire which is the support or the source or at the beginning of the world so here the word fire does not literally mean the fire it does not even literally mean the ritual that particular ritual it refers to the deity who is being worshiped uh, the deity is virat now you know from our vedantic uh, studies that uh, pure consciousness brahman 
limited by maya is called ishvara all of it you see why vedanta sar is so useful now so pure consciousness limited by maya is ishvara the god of religion saguna brahman further limited by the cosmic mind is called hiranyagarbha further limited by the physical cosmos limited means pure consciousness plus maya plus the all the minds together plus the physical bodies this entire cosmos there's one consciousness which identifies itself with the entire universe living and non living that is called virat literally meaning the vast that is what uh, arjuna actually saw in the 11th chapter of the bhagavad gita when he wanted to see vishwarupa darshana the the universal form of krishna that's what krishna showed him and that terrified arjuna actually he got we uh, used to ask when we studied the gita we used to ask our masters that uh, what kind of spirituality is this he just got terrified and uh, uh, and they said that that if you think about it that that probably would be the case if you are confronted with something so vast the descriptions of this virat is what is arjuna's experience what one of the commentators says we all are experiencing this universe in slices in slices of time and space and people some people right now for example we have this little slice of space wherever you are uh, and virtually you are meeting with all these people on the computer this is one slice of reality before this something else after this something else in a different place some other things you will see other people you will meet so time and space and people we are experiencing the universe in this way now imagine if we you were to somehow see um all the universe somehow in one place all time eternity from beginning of the universe till the end of the universe all at the same time and all beings billions billions imagine all the 7 billion human beings who are alive now and the billions who have lived earlier and the billions who are going to live later all of them together and and all other living beings too all together and this and this whole amazing unity this being this called the vast the virat uh, it appears before you and then notices you and looks at you what would you feel <laughs> arjuna says every hair of my body is standing on end it's like a thousand uh, suns have risen in the sky oppenheimer quoted that after the explosion of the first atomic bomb i i have come i am time the destroyer of worlds as if the rising of a thousand suns in the sky and that's just one nuclear bomb so that is virat and that is to be worshiped now this virat the god of fire agni is a part of all gods are part of this virat as are all beings so god of fire agni is also part of it so that's why virat is called agni but to make sure we understand what is being made what is being implied here lokadi magnim a very evocative phrase the fire that was at the beginning of the worlds lokadi at the beginning of the worlds the fire that shone at the beginning of the worlds we can call it the fire of creation the deity who was at the beginning of the worlds um, as the entire universe emerged again the vedic vedantic cosmology um, we remember vedanta sar there supposed to be 14 worlds or 14 universes basically this is one of them what we are seeing now this physical universe all of this at the beginning of all of this is virat who identifies 
with the entire physical universe and the subtle universe and the causal universe. So that tremendous deity is being worshipped. How to worship? Through this fire, this ritual. And that was told by, that was that secret was imparted by the Lord of Death to Nachiketa. Ya Ishtaka, what kind of bricks are necessary? Yavatirva. So how many are necessary? How many bricks? I think uh, it's going to be 720 big bricks, one of the commentators says, and of a particular kind. And Yathava, how are we going to arrange them? There's a particular, um, the, the sacrificial fire pit, the homakunda has to be arranged in a particular way. The fire altar has to be arranged in a particular way. All, every step accompanied by the chanting of mantras and so on. So it's a very complicated um, ritual. And then, what did Nachiketa do? He was not overwhelmed by all this. These days it will be called an info dump, information dump. <laughs> um, so the assignment, heavy assignment. I remember in my little jaunt at Harvard a couple of years back. So at this age, and that too, some a place like Harvard, enormous amounts of reading, some professors. Uh, for example, I uh, had this professor, Professor Garfield, Jay Garfield, who is a professor of Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, one of the leading scholars of Tibetan Buddhism today. So he used to give enormous amounts of reading, uh, 400, 500 pages each week for, uh, for each particular class. Nowadays, you can actually look up, and all this must be common knowledge to you, but it was new to me. You can actually look up the professors on in the internet. So I looked him up. I said, so I was thinking, what's his deal? This is too much. How can you read so much? And there are other classes too. And it's not just once, every week. And, I, and lo and behold, I saw uh, his uh, um, students were saying that he's beware, he's known for his super dense readings. And this was not ordinary reading. Just imagine uh, what Nagarjuna taught 2000 years ago and the commentators like Chandrakirti, all of that in old Sanskrit technical Buddhist philosophy, Sanskrit in those days, commented upon by Tibetans in Tibetan a thousand years ago. All of that translated into almost incomprehensible English. And then 300 or 400 pages of that every week. I think you have to be young to do that. As to see the students, young people, so smart. And so they, they would get these enormous piles of books and sit and read. Um, and they had their computers, all this thing was on the computers. And they, they would go through it. And I had to struggle at this age to read all that stuff. But what, what about Nachiketa? He's young. He absorbed the whole thing. Somebody compared it to drinking from a fire hose. You know, drink from so fire hose, enormous amount of water is coming. They're trying to drink from that. Nachiketa not only absorbed it, he repeated it back. Last time I'd mentioned how the traditional teaching goes that uh, you are supposed to memorize whatever the material, whichever is whatever is taught in each class, and you're supposed to repeat it back. Um, so Yathoktam, as Yamaraja had told him, in the same way, Nachiketa repeated it back. Uh, and the commentator says, with understanding, just not rote memorization, with understanding. We see something like this in a number of um, spiritual masters. There's some connection um, between spirituality and extraordinary memory also, a very, a very clear memory. Clear 
powerful memory recall is connected to concentration and concentration definitely is connected to spiritual life and the ability to focus one's attention for long periods of time on one object with with, with one mind um the danish philosopher kierkegaard had said very incisive observation he said purity of mind is to desire one thing only i was listening to this um folk song by the the baul singers of of bengal so there's a very syncretic tradition in bengal of um, these singers who are like monks um, they are folk singers but all the songs are very mystical and so those songs have hindu elements buddhist elements islamic elements very philosophical um and always elusive they they are they point to something they don't say it outright very poetical also and the, these bowls those who are from bengal they know they have this instrument called dotara which is um like a stringed instrument and you strum it and they will dance and sing sometimes you see them on trains uh, performing and um especially if you're going to shantiniketan where rabindranath tagore established his school and university so that's the area this particular baul was singing i st- still remember a very beautiful song um that if you want to be admitted to the presence of goracharya that's the chaitanya mahaprabhu you know the great master of the vaishnavas um ekmon hote hobe that means you have to be of one mind you have to be of one mind and the next line was dumon hole porbi bhabe bhaber phade if you are of two minds or more you will be trapped in samsara so you have to be of one mind that means you have to want god and god only and nothing else then you go through you will be admitted into the divine presence otherwise no otherwise you are trapped in the bazaar of samsara if you have more than one mind one means your mind is scattered focus sri ramakrishna himself um had an extraordinarily absorbent memory he wouldn't read books he was barely literate but uh, he would listen um, people like plays and songs and he would listen once or twice and he would remember the whole thing uh, swami vivekananda of course there are those famous incidents um once he went uh, he was in meerat which is north of india he was traveling with swami akhandananda his brother disciple and uh, the story goes that they were staying in a hut and meditating studying and he sent swami akhandananda to pick up books for him from the local public library and he was book there books on natural science multi volume book um so one after another volumes akhandananda would go and return the earlier one and pick up the next one bring it back to vivekananda and vivekananda would consume that in one or two days and return that so the librarian said to akhandananda swami you are not reading these books you are just borrowing them for effect you know you are just showing off you just read, you can't read all these dense volumes so fast then akhandananda said it's not for me it's for my monastic brother vivekananda and uh, uh, the librarian said whoever it is is not reading it so akhandananda went and reported that to vivekananda and vivekananda said let's go and meet the librarian and so they went they met the librarian and they said that i have read all of it and 
he asked the librarian to bring out those books and ask questions from anywhere. And he answered the questions to the satisfaction of the librarian. That particular incident I remember because um, about a couple of decades back, there was a professor who had come from a university in Meerut who was visiting uh, our university at Belur, uh, our college, our teacher education college. And this lady, she said, that library is still there. And on top of the librarian's chair, there's a, there's a portrait of Vivekananda. <laughs> so Vivekananda was here, you know. And there's a, the other well-known story in Belur Math itself. Uh, Vivekananda sitting and, um, you know, he had this set of Encyclopedia Britannica. In those days, I think a 10 or 12 volume set and it used to be leather bound and formidable looking. Nowadays, it's not so impressive, you know, in a DVD or it's all on the cloud. So nobody, you can't see how impressive the whole thing is unless you put it together in one place. Um, so his disciple Sharat Chandra comes into the room and asks Swami Vivekananda, I don't think a human being can read all these volumes uh, in one lifetime. And Vivekananda said, what are you saying? I have read nine volumes and I'm the 10th. You can ask me anything from nine, those nine volumes. And Sharachandra actually did. In the, he notes it in his, direct, his, his uh, diary that he picked up volumes at random, opened pages at random, asked those questions. And just like Nachiketa, Vivekananda, in many cases, he repeated back in the same language. He answered all the questions and sometimes in the same language down to the comma and the full stop. And so um, he was stunned. He said, how is this possible? And Vivekananda said, anybody can do it with purity and concentration, purity of mind and concentration, anybody can do it. Um, by the way, there, are, there have been other people who have famously read the entire encyclopedia. Elon Musk is supposed to have read it when he was a school kid in South Africa. Um, so, Nachiketa, repeated the whole thing back to um, Yama, Yamaraja. And memory, I remember when we were novices, one of our, uh, the senior monk, the abbot of our mon uh, monastery told us, I still remember one day, one night we were walking and he said, there are four kinds of memory. There's an old Sanskrit saying, four kinds of memory. So, chira vega, vega chira, vega vega, chira chira. What does it mean? Um, so, chira vega, this is the worst kind of memory. It takes you a long time to memorize and you forget almost instantly <laughs> afterwards. And then there is the opposite, um, the best kind, chira vega, uh, vega chira. That means you learn fast and you remember it. Something like Vivekananda or others, you know, and you remember it for a very, very long time. And then there is the vega vega, learn fast, forget fast. And then there is the um, chira chira. It takes a lot of time to learn, but you do retain what you have learned. So these four kinds. Nachiketa obviously was the best kind uh, who absorbed it. He was able to drink from the fire hose. He absorbed it very fast. And um, uh, he, was in a, he was able to re repeat it back to Yama. And obviously he remembered it because he transmitted it back to humanity when he went back. Then Yama is so happy with him because he was able to repeat back all of that faultlessly. 16th verse, 16th mantra. Tamabravit priya mano mahatma. Varam tabehadya dadami bhuja 
ट्रांसलेशन इज फीलिंग डिलाइटेड दैट हाई सोल्ड वन सेट टू हिम दैट हाई सोल्ड वन इज यमा एंड हिम इज नचिकेता out of favor towards you i now grant you again another boon this fire will be known by your name indeed and accept this multiform necklace as well okay so yama is very happy with his young disciple and he says i'm going to give you a bonus three boons plus one and this is not to be counted as your third boon sis i'm giving it from my uh, this is on from my account and what is that boon actually it has two parts one is from now on this fire sacrifice is the best of all fire sacrifices it will be known by your name and that actually happened because in the vedas you find reference of nachiketa agni uh, more than once multiple times you have nachiketa agni the the fire sacrifice of nachiketa that's what it means or the nachiketa fire um so it existed before him this knowledge existed before nachiketa but after nachiketa it came to be known by uh, nachiketa's name and the second part of the bonus was shrinkam now this is a word which is a little puzzling it literally means a necklace so did yama give him a necklace he says this this multicolored this sparkling necklace accept this as a special gift so yama i suppose he was bedecked with ornaments and jewels and he pulled out his best necklace and he gave it to nachiketa maybe um but it has puzzled commentators it seems slightly inconsequential why would he give a necklace to nachiketa he could have but so shankaracharya for example says um it may mean the the entire range of rituals so a variety of rituals that is what this variety of multicolored you know like a multiple gems with various colors a necklace with multiple gems maybe the entire ritualism of the vedas is being referred referred to here and i'm giving you all this knowledge um, about the ritualistic part of the vedas the karma kanda various rituals of various times types with various results so these multiple results are the multiple colors of these maybe so or maybe he just gave him, gave him a necklace that's all what is the result of all of these rituals this kind of ritualism um just a comment here remember here um it may sound non vedantic because it is non vedantic it is pre vedantic so all of this what we are reading here you are not the goal is not enlightenment the goal is not liberation the goal is not to realize that my nature is brahman even god is not the goal nor is devotion the goal the goal is uh, ritualism and through ritualism um, the results of these rituals good life here and a good life uh, post mortem and the whole thing is somebody was asking now well, these are just beliefs yes they are beliefs that's conventional religion any kind of conventional religion is basically religion is basically a faith a belief system that's why it's called a faith so these are all beliefs that's the uniqueness of advaita vedanta on the vedantic portion which will come later 
which is directly knowledge connected to a teaching connected to an to an experience which is constantly available to us a pointing out to a constantly available experience that's very unique it's not dependent on a particular belief but this is definitely dependent on a particular belief uh, the vedic people strongly believed uh, in the possibility of um, these rituals leading to a better life here and to attainment of heaven after death so what is the result of all of this what is the ideal life vedic life but not vedantic life pre vedantic vedic life a devout follower of vedic rituals what kind of life was this person looking at or desiring or or visualizing this is said now this is the best that can be attained through the uh, karma kanda ritualistic portion of the vedas so this is verse number mantra number 17 ത്രിഭിരേത്യസന്ധിംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ്യംഗ
um, nowadays it psychologists have fully accepted this you know child psychology i talk about nurture and nature uh, how much of it depends on genetics how much of it depends on the environment that is um, set up by the parents or the caregivers um there are psychologists now developmental psychologists who minimize actually the effect of the um, of the you know genetic background the nature part of it most of it is nurture they are saying um, so a vast amount of it is the effect of the mother swami vivekananda also mentioned this that, that how much he owes to his mother so a mother who is loving nourishing stable structured strong giving uh, deeply ethical so it this is these are transmitted um, almost uh, i would say effortlessly to the child through the mother so matri upanishad vedanta upanishad says you want enlightenment well you better have a good relationship with your mother when you are when you were young that's very important some psychologists are reading um an expert on trauma recently very well known gabor mate i think uh, so a tremendous importance on the relationship with mother in early childhood and the opposite can be devastating not having a mother or having a mother who is um, not stable not nourishing um, not mature enough unfortunately it seems to be piling on too much pressure on mothers and it's also unfortunate because mothers are young people when they have children there's uh, unfortunately no training at all for parents there's so much training for every little thing in this world and for parenthood almost no training at all the most sophisticated most demanding kind of job uh, but no training at all so that's mother first second he says the second connect relationship is with the father so uh, a male role model of a father in uh, in one's life very very important to further development of one's pers- uh, personality and capacities and the third um uh, important relationship is with the teacher acharya one so the vedanta upanishad says you need these three relationships good relationships in your life you not only have to have these absolutely and these have to be good really good relationships matriman bhavati pitriman bhavati acharya one bhavati you must have a wonderful mother a wonderful father and um, a, a wonderful inspiring teacher the third part of it the inspiring teacher um unfortunately in modern uh, times we have lost track of that even psychologists don't make much of it now unfortunately the reason being that we don't expect the teacher to have any kind of deep relationship with the student nor the teacher to be anything more than teaching you a particular subject alfred north whitehead mathematician philosopher educationist also um he said that um uh, he he said that he called it the historic failure of education historic failure of education he said in ancient greece in ancient india in ancient china young people went to teachers to learn about life not just get knowledge about different subjects that too but learn about life what is good what is bad uh, what is the goal of life meaning purpose all of this character and they were inspired every culture has this you know 
ideal teachers. In India, of course, this went to another extreme altogether. Guru, the guru is very, very important in, in spiritual life, but then this has effects across um, society. So the guru who is your teacher in every other aspect, maybe your maths teacher, your, your physics teacher, or your literature teacher, they are also revered uh, in India, even down to, to, to today. Uh, we, those who are from India, we know we, not only spiritual teacher, but even our uh, teachers of secular subjects, we bow down to them, we touch their feet. So that is a very common thing there. Um, so the relationship with the guru. Though modern psychology doesn't make much of it because today the teacher is not supposed to teach you about life. Alfred North Whitehead says this is a historic failure. We have been drawn from that position over the centuries. Now schools and colleges are not places you would expect. They don't think of themselves as places where they teach you about life. Nor do students go to a professor or a teacher expecting to learn about philosophy, about the purpose of life or the goal, uh, what is right and wrong. No. Somehow, education has withdrawn itself from that sphere. And it's a huge, huge failure. He calls it the historic failure of education. Uh, but Upanishad says that's the third relationship. And it's true, really. I mean, even though psychology has sort of forgotten that part of it, uh, modern psychology doesn't, I mean, it recognizes the importance of parents very much, but not so much the teacher. <laughs> but we all know, all of us, we still remember that inspiring school teacher in grade school, that, um, that amazing professor we had at, at uh, uh, you know, in college. We all remember, and we were inspired by that. So uh, in the Indian education system, at least at the Vedic time, um, the idea was you would have uh, apprenticeship. You would go, not just attend a class and come back. You would stay with the teacher and um, not only learn what is taught in the class, but learn from the life of the teacher. It's like staying near a fire and being warmed by that fire. You absorb. In fact, I was reading somewhere the most, the best form, the most sophisticated and effective form of education is the apprentice system. There was some discussion about that in a uh, textbook, I think, or a, or a paper. Wherever you want some high level of expertise to be transmitted, not just some basic stuff, but high level of expertise to be transmitted, you want, we would want the student to be apprenticed to the expert. So, for example, you want to learn tennis at, at, you know, at the championship level, then you don't just go to an ordinary uh, school with everybody else. You would also work with some champion or some top level coach. You'd be apprenticed. You'd, you'd work with them. And that's how education was in um, uh, ancient India. Uh, you would be apprenticed to a rishi, a sage, and you would absorb that system of knowledge, but also character, values, uh, morals. You'd absorb, you'd build up a character. There's a saying that children do not listen. Uh, children do not listen. Um, they they imitate. Children do not listen, they imitate. And that goes not only for children, for teenagers, for young people also, grown-up people also. It's much easier to download uh, by watching and imitating that which we find inspiring. So the teacher, that's the third relationship. Matriman Bhavati, the student must have nourishing relation with the mother. Pitriman Bhavati, nourishing relationship with the father. And then uh, Acharya Van Bhavati must have a spiritual, uh, a teacher. 
I mean, spiritual teacher, of course, but even before that, teacher. Such a person can benefit from Vedic ritualism. So, uh, you must be a very wholesome character, a wholesome person in life. And then only these things will work for you. Then what else do you do? What do you practice? Trikarmakrit. Three kinds of work are to be done before you practice these, before you start these ritualism. So three kinds of work are um, daily worship of God and um, in, the, in those days, the Vedic gods. Then um, Swadhyaya, regular study of the scriptures and Dana, um, philanthropy, giving, you know, nourishing society. So and all of these are regular duties. So there must be some, so many Hindu households had at one time, it's going away now, uh, they had uh, deities at home which were worshipped. So that is part of your duty, that's one. Second is uh, study, systematic study, not just for Vedanta students, everybody was supposed to systematically study these texts. And third would be giving, um, you know, giving to the needy, giving to good causes, philanthropy, uh, volunteering, which you see a lot of in America, for example. So this is a sign of a healthy society, which has uh, religion, which has education, which has philanthropy. And every person is supposed to cultivate that. Such a person, Trinachiketa, would is being asked to perform this Nachiketa uh, ritual at least thrice or three times over his lifetime. So you perform it three times, then you are assured of going to heaven. What is the result? Um, you not only perform this, you also associate it with meditation on Virat. Who is Virat? Brahmaja. I'm uh, giving you the meanings of these words. Brahmaja, literally born of Brahma, not born of Brahman, Brahma. What is meant here? Again, Vedanta Sar is very useful. Where does God come from in, um, you know, in Vedantic uh, understanding? The ultimate reality is one, Brahman. Limited by, associated with Maya, Ishwar or Saguna Brahman. Further, that Saguna Brahman alone becomes Hiranyagarbha. When it's associated with the entire subtle universe, all minds together, the cosmic mind. Another name for Hiranyagarbha is Brahma. Then that Hiranyagarbha or Brahma itself uh, appears as, or within quotes, born as Virat, when the physical universe appears. So who is born of Brahma? Virat. Um, Gyam, the word means Brahma Jagyam, the omniscient Virat. Virat is, has all the omniscience of uh, Saguna Brahman, of God. So just as God is omniscient, so is the cosmic mind omniscient, so is this cosmic being Virat omniscient. Devam, the Lord, the Lord God. Idiom, um, praiseworthy, to whom you sing hymns or to whom you pray. Viditva, learning the meditation on Virat. Nichaya, having meditated on Virat. So you meditate on Virat and perform this ritual three times with all the qualifications. With the qualifications, you must be a person who has had these three nourishing relationships with mother, father, and teacher, and a person who is regularly devout, given to the pursuit of knowledge, and uh, philanthropic. Such a person, Shanti Matyantameti, attains the highest peace. Again, this highest peace sounds very Vedantic, 
you become enlightened, jivan mukta. No, be very clear here. It all means goes to heaven after death. Then, 18. He goes on talking about the results of uh, Vedic ritualism, especially the, this particular ritual, the Nachiketa ritual. Trinachiketa strayameta viditva yaevam vidvans chinute nachiketam samrityu pashan puratah pranodya shokatigo modate swargaloke. The translation is, one who performs the Nachiketa sacrifice, the Nachiketa sacrifice, thrice, after having known about the three factors, and he who, having known thus, accomplishes the Nachiketa sacrifice, casts off the snares of death, even earlier, and crossing over sorrow, rejoices in heaven. Okay, more threes here. So, one who performs the this sacrifice three times, knowing about the three. Which three is being mentioned here? Which trees are they referring to? The three things which Yama told Nachiketa. What are the three things? Uh, how many bricks there are, what kind of bricks, and how to arrange them. So that means this person knows how to perform the ritual properly. The person who, such a person who performs this ritual three times in his lifetime, Yaevam uh, Vidwan, the knowledgeable one. Here, it, Vidwan means is a technical meaning, the one who meditates also on Virat. Not only performs the ritual, also meditates on Virat. Result, he overcomes death and um, overcomes sorrow and enjoys himself in the world, in the heavenly worlds, in Swargaloka, in the world, a heavenly world. Here, there is this language, Purataf Pranodya, having given up death even before dying. So what is giving up death even before dying? Um, so the commentator helps us here, Shankaracharya. He says, the kind of person we are talking about, nourished by a good family of mother and father, taught ethics and moral life, inspired by a good teacher, practicing um, morality, philanthropy and so on in his, in his life, and devout, worshipping God and all of that, such a person overcomes vice, vice in the sense of adharma, sin, um, you know, the don't sin life, the things which are not, not supposed to be done by an ethical person. Unethical life is overcome. Unethical life, immoral life is death. So for the Vedic people, physical death is one kind of death, but immoral life is another kind of death. Why would that be equal to death? Practically, it results in that because immoral life uh, deprives us not only of spirituality, but of any chance of going to heaven after death. So the result is one either goes to one of those lower hells or one is born and reborn again and again. Nachiketa pointed it out to his father. If you remember, he says, why are you cheating yourself, father, by not giving away the good cows? You're giving away the, um, the ones you don't want. Remember, look, people are born and they die like um, the corn in the field. They're born and they die and they're reborn again. That means quickly being born and dying. Jayaswam, Ryaswa, the Upanishadic languages, being constantly whirled around in the cycle of birth and death. Not, a, 
you know, like a breather, a breathing space in heaven. No. Die, be a ghost for some time and, you know, scare people on Halloween, then reborn again. <laughs> so, I'm joking, but the idea is that one may be whirled around very quickly in the cycle of birth and death. If that shows we don't have enough good karma to go to heaven. So you overcome death. One kind of death is immoral life, unethical life. Um, overcoming desire, hatred, raga, dvesha. Rather, this is overcome when you lead a strictly ethical life. But then you don't act according to your likes and dislikes. I'm not going to go into it, but um, a lot of what's going on on campuses now, and this is uh, political dynamite. So I'm non-political, so that's why I can say it a little bit. I have actually seen this with my own eyes uh, during my time at Harvard. And also I've talked to um, you know, students in uh, universities here in New York and other parts of America. Um, this uh, you know, feeling that suddenly I belong to this gender and I, I make the transition into that gender, then uh, I feel again, no, I, I, the other gender was all right, I transitioned back into that, all through actually surgery and all of that. Um, how do I put it? It's I'm following momentary impulses in my mind, a strong feeling that I am like this. And then, and this is all coming from young people who are in, in the campuses now. So then there's a whole group of people, little political things going on there, group of people who will come and encourage you. Oh, make the transition, change from male to female or female to male or whatever. And then all these people, it's, you know, you're young people. So the uh, peer pressure is tremendous. It has a huge effect. You will say that, uh, do I de detect a disapproving tone? And not disapproving. Uh, it's not leading to happiness. The whole goal was it would lead to happiness, uh, a better life. It's not. And it's not coming from me. It's coming from people who are right now in the midst of all of this. And they are saying, we see that uh, our friends, our classmates who have gone through this, they're not happy. Um, so uh, overcoming strong likes and dislikes, not being swept away by uh, powerful likes and dislikes in the mind. When you have, when you build your life around a core set of principles, so your decisions are taken not by what I like or dislike at that particular moment, but what is my core set of values. Um, so this is, that's overcoming another kind of death. And this is, the Upanishadic language is, you overcome death before dying. <laughs> so these are the deaths which are overcome before dying. And then, of course, after physical death, one goes to heaven. And as Nachiketa has pointed out, heaven is a fun place to be in. All of this, by the way, Nachiketa will cast overboard. He'll dump the whole thing, criticize it sharply very soon. Then... 19. Yama brings the whole, this whole second boon thing to a close now. 19th mantra. Eshate Agnir Nachiketa Swargyo Yama Vrinitha Dvitiyena Varena Etam Agnim Taveva Pravakshanti Janasa Tritiyam Varam Nachiketo Vrinishwa So Yama is speaking again. 
and he's saying that, uh, O Nachiketa, this is for you the boon about the fire that leads to heaven, for which you prayed through the second boon. People will speak of this fire as yours indeed, O Nachiketa. Ask for the third boon. So the only takeaway here is that uh, it brings this topic to a conclusion and uh, um, clearly Nachiketa must have transmitted this to a human beings when he came back to the world of the living because people do talk about Nachiketa fire. And now the third boon. The third boon is you ask for something else. Nachiketa, this is where the point of the whole story. The third boon will be a question. Nachiketa wants to know the secret of Atman. Uh, what really happens? What, what is our real nature? Um, note that he is very much in the Veda, uh, Vedic culture. So he, is, he buys into the whole thing about multiple lives. After death, we are not gone. We are, he obviously sees, I've come to the land of death. I'm still alive. So I, even after death, we exist. So his question is not really what happens after death. What's our real nature? Who am I or what am I? What is this thing which is going through births and deaths? And what's the point of all of this? What's the point of all of this? Um, all of this entire game of life and death. That will be the question. And that's the, um, that's the cue for Yama to teach him Vedanta, which is why we are all here actually. So, so this is a long story. And we'll continue. Because for a quite for several mantras, Yama will test Nachiketa, whether he's ready. And those tests and the qualifications of Vedanta are serious. We will feel impatient. Get on with it. Come on, tell us about Brahman, Atman, meditation and things, the good stuff. You're just telling us the boring stuff, that be a good boy, don't be naughty. Uh, but that first part is very important. Otherwise, is the question of what do we really want? And we have to be honest within ourselves, just really seriously ask ourselves. One may have desires, but if one makes up one's mind that those desires are petty, they will not really lead to uh, lasting fulfillment. That much understanding if one has, and one makes a decision, I'm going to move on. Even if these desires lurk in my mind, the desires will not disappear so fast because the mind has been conditioned uh, for years and by society, by lifetime, um, lifetimes. So the conditioning is still there. But the decision, God-realization is my goal. Enlightenment is my goal. Nirvana, moksha, the highest thing spoken of by our civilization, not just the Indian, ancient Indian civilization. Every civilization, everywhere in the world, ultimately they speak about this. Different names, whether moksha, salvation, nirvana, Kaivalya, many, many terms are there in India. This sort of became the project of the Indian civilization. Their civilization obsessed with uh, enlightenment and freedom from the cycle of birth and death. So that will be the topic that will come from the next class onwards. All right, a quick look at what's there in the chat. Oh, Peter says, congratulations on the book launch. Yes, um, thank you. Although all the credit really goes to um, one of our volunteers, Nikita, who is in Mumbai now. She worked very hard to uh, get those books done. Those are like long reads. They are available on, on Amazon. And by the way, somebody asked me, 
I don't have a Kindle. What do I do? You don't have to have a Kindle. <laughs> These are uh, free apps. You can read it on your computer or your phone. You just download the app from, from the uh, website. It's all free. But these are basically the talks which I've given. They are being converted by this publication house in India um, called Jagannot Books into these um, booklets, basically ebooks. Cordelia says, Your name means Virat. Vishwarup, yes. Vishwarup means Virat. Vishwarup literally means the world form, or the 11th chapter of Bhagavad Gita is the Vishwarup Darshan. Shubhadeep says, what is the meaning of the word Nachiketa? That's an interesting one. I had briefly mentioned this at the beginning of our uh, class, the Katopanishad class. Nachiketa, one meaning would be, I who do not know. That's one meaning, actually. So like, I am the student, I'm asking. Uh, chinoti, the word means to know, to select, to decide, uh, to discern. Vivek also has a similar meaning. So scholars have debated about this. What is the meaning of the word Nachiketa? But it's a very popular name in India, a very popular name for boys. Rick says, are these two statements synonymous? Pure consciousness limited by Maya becomes Ishwara. Pure intelligence limited by Maya becomes intelligent and assumes the role of creative intelligence. Good. I don't know where the second one comes from, but it's just exactly this, the first one. Pure consciousness is Brahman, limited by Maya, associated by Maya, um, becomes or appears as Ishwara. Ishwara means Saguna Brahman, the god of religion. And that's further expanded nicely by this statement on pure intelligence. Um, Shubrata says, any reason Shankara did not recognize Sarvam Kalvidam Brahman as Mahavakya? So what is Mahavakya? So the great sentences like Tattvamasi, Aham Brahmasmi, that thou art, I am Brahman, um, this very self, I am Atma Brahma, this very self is Brahman. And one more, Prajnanam Brahma, this consciousness which we have now, this awareness, this itself, if you know it truly, it is Brahman. This is one from each Veda, um, Rig Veda, Yajur Veda, Sama Veda, Atharva Veda, one one Mahavakya. Mahavakya literally means great sentence or profound sentence. And it summarizes the entirety of Vedanta, of Advaita Vedanta. All right. Now, this particular statement, Sarvam Kalvidam Brahman, everything is Brahman. It sounds cool, very nice. So why isn't this a Mahavakya? Do you know why? What is the definition of a Mahavakya? The definition of a Mahavakya, it must talk about the identity of the jiva and Brahman. You are Brahman. It must tell you that. I am Brahman. It must tell you, tell me that. So look at these, these Mahavakyas. Tattvamasi, that thou art. You and Brahman are the same reality. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. I am Atma Brahma. This very self is Brahman. Exactly the same meaning. Pragyanam Brahma. The, the stream of consciousness which you have right now, the all the children, you know, the uh, conscious events which are taking place, which, con which constitute your life, that, when properly understood, is none other than Brahman. So what you understand yourself as, in a deep sense, that, when investigated, will re uh, reveal your infinitude. The infinitude of the individual must be revealed by the Mahavakya. Now, what does this statement say, this wonderful statement? Everything is Brahman. Well, great. 
but it doesn't tell me directly that I am Brahman, and therefore it's not not to be counted as a Mahavakya. Rick says Rain Man, who was based on a real person named Kim Peek, had that kind of memory. He was autistic, right? Rain Man was autistic. Deepa and Krishnan say some claim that Swami Vivekananda had uh, eidetic memory. I'm not sure. He doesn't say that he literally has a photographic memory, but um, he has prodigious memory, no doubt about it. Leonardo da Vinci had photographic memory. Swami Vivekananda believed in eidetic memory as he could memorize a book just by going through it for a single time. He could. There are a number of such instances. Pickwick papers, he loved, even Charles Dickens. Uh, he read it once or twice, I think, and he could recite entire pages from the Pickwick papers. Mathematician John von Neumann was able to memorize a column of the phone book at a single guy, and he certainly won. Von Neumann certainly wasn't autistic. He was one of the, the, the monster brains of the 20th century. Um, his output, output was tremendous and very interesting. You know, this word is worth mentioning now. I mentioned the importance of concentration, focus of mind. Swami Vivekananda said, it is the key to all knowledge. And that's the insight we get from Patanjali Yoga, that concentration is the key to knowledge. Now, I read somewhere that, look, this is not really true. How does scientific knowledge come? There is a scientific method and there are teams of people working uh, on it. And that generates knowledge. You know, people publish papers and all of that. And finally, that's, that's how knowledge grows. Not concentration of mind. That's a good thing, but that doesn't really lead to knowledge. Well, no. I was uh, startled to see, I was reading a long article on John um, or uh, von Neumann. And it said he had a phenomenal power of concentration and he was convinced that no problem could resist the power of concentration. It's almost like Vivekananda's words. No problem could resist his powers of concentration. He was convinced that if he just concentrated hard enough on a problem, he would be able to crack it. Which is all just about exactly what Vivekananda had said or what the Patanjali Yoga Sutra says, that it is concentration. Uh, and this I found again and again. At Harvard also, I, I questioned math, uh, physicists. I've watched students from grad students to undergrad to um, scholars at work. One common thing I found throughout was exceptional powers of focus. Taittiriya uh, Upanishad expounds beautifully the Guru Shishya Parampara. Yes. The first chapter of the Taittiriya Upanishad. Taittiriya Upanishad has three vallis. Shiksha valli, Brahmananda valli, and the Bhrigu valli. Um, so the first valli is about, there is a lot about the teacher-student uh, relationship. Rick says, so Saguna Brahman, Cosmic Mind, and Birat are three different things. No, no more, no, three different, no more different than us. Look at us. What am I? I am consciousness with the uh, primeval ignorance, which is my state in deep sleep. And then the mind kicks in. So that's my state in dream state. And then I become aware of the body. So right now there's the body, the mind, and the causal state. This gross state, subtle state, causal state, all together, I, the consciousness, in association with these three, I am this individual Sarva Priyananda. Exactly like that. Whatever is there in the microcosm is there in the macrocosm. It is the same God. The Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, who is eternal. When the universe is created, he appears further 
as a cosmic mind. And when the physical universe appears, he appears further or he becomes further uh, associated with the entire physical universe as the cosmic person, Virat. Only thing is, because the universe goes through cycles, Ishwara, that is consciousness with Maya, that is eternal, but uh, Hiranyagarbha and Virat, they are manifested and they disappear from cycle to cycle, just like us. You are always there, but in uh, deep sleep, from your perspective, there's no external world, so there's no physical body. There's no thoughts and dreams, there's no mind also. But you remain in a seed state. So Ishwara is eternal through time and uh, um, Hiranyagarbha and uh, Virat or Brahma and Virat, they manifest in time as the universe, subtle and physical, and they disappear when the subtle and physical universes disappear. But their essential nature is Ishwara, God. And beyond all of this is the reality. All of this is just an appearance. The reality is Brahman, which is beyond time. Rita says, Carl Jung has influenced Western psychology, a long list of archetypes, hero, creator, ruler, caregiver, unfortunately missed out on mother, father, and teacher. Though, I mean, any psychoanalysis, the importance of mother and father are tremendously important. Teacher, yes. Somehow this seems to be a gap. Prabhrajika Vrajaprana, she visited us uh, yesterday, actually. Um, she's on the East Coast now. There's a wonderful article on the gap in Jung's philosophy. Oh, I didn't know that. So please take a note of this. Jung and Indian thought. Jung visited Belurmat, by the way. Carl Jung, he went to India. He met Karaman Marshi. He visited Belurmat uh, in, at that time. I think Swami Shivananda was the president of the order at that time. And he has this wonderful dialogue with um, uh, my predecessor here, Swami Pavitranandaji. Uh, so you can find that on the, on the net, Jung and Pavitra on the dialogue. Shankaracharya's Matripanchakam Zahim praising his mother. Do the chants of Rudram, Purusha Suktam come under Vedic rituals? Yes. Gaurav says, I don't, I understand that we don't need to do anything to rest in awareness. Awareness always shines. Just like tying the donkey. Do you have any suggestion on how much meditation? Vedantic, Japa or other, one should target. These are big questions. We'll have to see that later uh, as the discussion comes there. What split will you suggest if you suggested more than one meditation technique? So I'm not going to prescribe uh, how much Japa you should do, how much Vedantic meditation you do. That is, is very personal. We can see that separately. Prabir Basu says, do you... Have you dropped the idea of publishing Drik Drisha Vivek Talks as a book? No, that's still there. That's a much bigger thing. The ones which have been published now are just individual lectures. Drik Drisha Vivek, uh, we will discuss it later. And that's still in the works. Gloria says, Jung was very clear on the importance of the mother archetype. Yes. He saw that once inner image of God was predicated on the parental influences. Yes. Shweta says, do we not have to use the power of concentration to be focused on the self? Sense of I am to the full realization? Yes. One pointed on the sense of presence? Yes. And that's an advanced meditation. That is Vedantic meditation, Nididhyasana. Sangeeta says, 
One thing that certainly impressed Jung was the statue, statue of Sri Ramakrishna at Belurmat. He later commented that whatever the word Samadhi might mean exactly, every Indian would associate it with the image of a yogi in that state. Good. All right. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu